The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And with me, as always, is the star of the show, former WWE Tag Team Champion, eight-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champion, as well as one of the greatest trainers in the history of professional wrestling. He is the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard. Tom, how are you today? John, I am doing great today. Now, there is so much craziness going on in the world. I mean, it's a lot of uh, instability. How is JPWA doing, and are you keeping it stable? We are keeping JPWA stable. Things are going great. We've been uh, uh, doing things in mask and keeping our social distancing and uh, still trying to get uh, the most out of everything that that challenges us on a daily basis, but we're doing great. Um, it's uh, coming up on six weeks into this nice, hot summertime weather we have in Knoxville, and everybody's uh, hanging in there. So I'm, I'm really, really happy that uh, uh, the guys have been working hard and uh, going forward. Nice. And, of course, this episode is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. What do you think about well, this lawnmower 3.0? Well, I, I think it's a great thing. Also, I think it's a great thing that uh, our listeners can get 20% off using the uh, code EMPIRE along with free shipping. And, and I've got to say again, uh, Manscaped uh, lawnmower is uh, the 3.0 is beyond Anything anybody could describe on the air is something that you have to experience to fully appreciate. And and I think that um, uh, w- with everything going in the direction it's going, we can use all the help we can get. Absolutely. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. You can get 20% off and free shipping using the code EMPIRE. Like Dr. Tom said, that is 20% off and free shipping. Pretty amazing deal, if you ask me. Well, the battery, you know, the other thing about this, John, is, is you got to think about this. You don't have to charge it all the time. The battery lasts up to 90 minutes, and uh, even if you want to take a longer shave, so to speak. So it's, there's a lot of nice uh, elements involved with the Lawnmower 3.0. And, and, again, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. Absolutely. And another recommendation i got to throw out there is your book, A Complete One-Year Training Curriculum and Guide for Beginners and Seasoned Pros, A Pro Wrestling Curriculum, Advice, Suggestions, and Stories to Help the Aspiring Pro Get to the Next Level. Dr. Tom, how can they get this awesome book? My book is available on Amazon.com. Just type in Dr. Tom's book in the subject matter, and it will come up. Also, you can send... $25 to PayPal, and uh, my PayPal address is uh, com, and I will send you a personally signed autograph book. So uh, Amazon has books, and PayPal has books. And we will mention this again at the end. I just wanted to mention this because I saw Les Thatcher has been in the wrestling business for over 60 years now. So if yes. you want to throw out there, like that is just – Amazing, and you'll be doing something with him at the end of, well, not the end of summer, uh, at the beginning of August. 
the, for, the beginning uh, of August, and actually, yeah. as as we speak right now, um, and, and right before we connected this evening, uh, I was going through everyone who has applied, and let me put this right here. Um, as of this very moment, and probably after this airs, we won't have any left, but we have three. And then let me say it again, one, two, three spots remaining for this camp. So I'm very happy and uh, uh, excited that we have already reached, or pretty closely to reaching our limit And uh, for August 8th. And you're right, Les just celebrated 60 years on July 4th of being in the wrestling business. And I got to tell you, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, if there's anybody these days who has done it all and still active and still passionate about the wrestling business, I couldn't think of them uh, even comparing to Les Thatcher. He's a guy who uh, lives, breathes, and sleeps this business. And uh, on August 8th, uh, it's it's going to be Les and I in at the JPWA facility, uh, and with, with it with his sixty years and my forty years, that equals exactly a hundred years of experience between us. So uh, Les has pretty much seen it all, done it all, and um, this is an opportunity to uh, for everyone who signed up already to to come in and uh, uh, find out if there's anything they can squeeze uh, to get knowledge out here. And, and by God, we, we're used to being squeezed and asked a lot of questions. So uh, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm sure, I, I know Les is too. That is awesome. Wow. When you say it like that, 100 years of experience, it's uh, mind-boggling. But that's awesome. It, yeah, it is mind-boggling. And, and at the same time, you're right. It, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> I didn't think I'd <clears> – <throat> Well, I knew I'd been in, in wrestling my whole life. I just didn't know it's, it was going to be this long. And Les is uh, still healthy as a horse and 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 as passionate as ever. And uh, I know he's looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to it for sure. Awesome stuff. Now, today on the show, Changing Gears here, we will be talking all about Georgia Championship Wrestling. Yes, Georgia Championship Wrestling, a promotion-based, basically, really, what we're going to be kind of focusing on will be the 1980s, but it obviously was around long before that. The uh, Atlanta, Georgia would be the home base. The Superstation, WTBS, is obviously the uh, main place where it was broadcast. Now, it was based in Atlanta, but the company really had shows geographically all over Georgia the terror, and even all over other places, pockets of the United States as well. But they were really affiliated with the National Wrestling Alliance for a very long time and kind of the, the, the top sanctioning body in wrestling for a while. So great kind of association there with Georgia Championship Wrestling and the NWA. How did you get into Georgia Championship Wrestling all the way back in 1982? I was actually wrestling in San Antonio uh, prior to that, and Jim Barnett made a tour of Texas, and uh, he, he asked for me to come to Georgia Championship Wrestling, and Buck Robley was booking San Antonio at the time. Uh, Buck uh, came to me and said, Mr. Barnett would like you to, to come start in Georgia, and I thought, well, hell, that's a great thing, so... That's how that came about, and um, gosh, it was uh, it was it was in my infancy, and also in my uh, the highest probably the highest level of my uh, ignorance and stupidity in the business. But <laughs> uh, but but it was a lot of fun, and it, and it was a, it was a great experience on many many uh, fronts, and that, that's where I met uh, the Armstrong family for the first time, and Kevin Sullivan, Buzz Sawyer, uh, gosh, Stan Hansen, Orndorff. Tito Santana. Uh, I had met Piper earlier in California, but he was there as well. First met Gordon Soley, um, so it was a it was a jump uh, because uh, Tommy Rich, Tommy Wildfire Rich, another one. How could I forget Tommy? But but it was a uh, uh, right as WTBS was starting to get popular, and Tommy Rich had been on a couple of years, but it was still uh, pretty new. And and I remember the Armstrong, Brad and Bob winning the tag tournament and Brad had bought a Porsche 
shortly before I got there, and we made a couple trips in that thing, and he, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> the Porsche sounds like a nice car, it looks like a nice car, but um, it's kind of like a vet. You know, Corvettes are, are nice-looking cars, but as far as driving on the road for trips, not necessarily. And uh, Brad was uh, not not real happy with Porsche, but but he was making great money and he was doing very good. And um, uh, it was a it was a surreal time in my life, that's for sure. Now, what were your kind of first thoughts when you meet Jim Barnett? I mean, obviously, there's so many opinions out there. A lot of people love doing impersonations of him and things like that. What's kind of your opinion of good old Jim Barnett? Well, in the beginning, um, I, again, looking back and in hindsight being, of course, this dreaded 2020 pun intended, all slights intended mm-hmm. for the year and, and the, and the look back, um, realizing that, that, Jim Barnett was a smart man and had uh, been a huge, huge part of the wrestling business since back in the 40s, or or at least late 40s, early 50s, I think. And I I could be wrong on that, but but he had been around for a long, long time, and he was known, well-known, and uh, I, I... wasn't sure exactly uh, at that time coming into a place like TBS when you had top stars like like a Tommy Rich or like a Bob Armstrong or Piper or Stan Hansen, Paul Orndorff, and all these big stars. Um, <clears throat> I'm this this uh, smaller guy, and I wasn't exactly sure where I was going to fit in. And uh, my social awkwardness didn't help either. Uh, but Barnett, Jim Barnett, was was a, looking back on things. He was actually an advocate for me. Uh, I think I truly believe that, and I wasn't smart enough to pick up on uh, on. Uh, let me see. There, there were. Jim Barnett was was a smart guy, but if he gave you advice, it would behoove anyone to follow it, and uh, you would listen to him. And I, I would listen to him, yes, but I was also very, um, very much uh, of, of the feeling I'm going to do it my way. Well, that's not the way it, it happens, and that's not the way you should do it. At the same time, even though I didn't. Um, adhere to to everything he said or everything he told me he still put me out there uh as as a commentator when when piper got uh i think piper got cut in the carolinas and and while he was off jim put me on and allowed me to be on not just one segment wrestling but allowed me to be out there uh with gordon Soley on on this national tv show so uh, looking back again, in hindsight, I think Jim Barnett was looking for talent everywhere he went and was willing to, to give every talent he saw an opportunity. And it was up to, to that person to, to grab that opportunity and, and do with it what you will. And, um, you know, realizing that later on, especially, uh, it just, I, I, I don't know how to explain uh, it any better than that, except, you know, I, I, I like Jim. He, he was a great guy and a great person. And yes, all the, the imitations are out there. And yes, all the rumors and innuendo <clears throat> are out there, but, uh, I never saw any of the, uh, illicit rumors or illicit innuendo that, that has been, uh, uh, repeated over the years, he he was he was every every bit of a professional, every bit of a uh, uh, a character that that you heard about all through the years. He was every bit of that, and the Omni Arena um, was was one of those buildings that uh, when you walked out, you, you got that buzz, you got that feel. And he had his offices right in that, uh, arena right there. And, and, uh, was, was there for every show and was there for, um, uh, feedback and, 
uh, critiques, whatever whatever it took. But uh, my my impression of of Mr. Barnett was uh, he gave me an opportunity, and uh, I I should have made better with what I had of it. What did you think about the commentary role? I know you said you know, obviously you know, you're a little awkward, maybe a little green at that point. But what did you think about doing commentary? I welcomed it. I was okay with it. Um, I just wasn't sure what to do with it. And one of the things that stuck with me forever, uh, I think it was Pro Wrestling Illustrated or <clears throat> one of those magazines that said, uh, when I was commenting, it says, Tom Pritchard is an insomniac's best friend. And I thought, well, that's pretty harsh. But, but you know, I did, I wasn't Piper at that time. And certainly, mm-hmm. but, you know, it, it, Piper was, was definitely one of a kind. And he had his, his way and he had his uh, rhythm and Gordon and him had a... Uh, connection but uh, I enjoyed it and I got to know Gordon Soley at that time and um, it was again it was there was a lot of eye-opening moments for me and I think it was just understanding uh, doing TV in the morning on a Saturday morning you know after uh, after working in town Friday night and and maybe or maybe not sleeping I don't know it was just that that was part of the road uh, education I was getting back then. I think everybody was getting back then. It was just it was that kind of business. Some some guys would catch a red eye from wherever they were coming in just to be on that Saturday morning TV. And sometimes you'd be in a town uh, two hundred fifty miles away, and you'd be getting home like maybe three in the morning. And you knew if you lay down, you may not get up. So you just stayed up all night, and you went to TV. So. Uh, I, I, the times I did have to work and wrestle on TV, you know, I, we, we did and did the best I did the best I could. And then on commentary, the same same thing, you know. Sometimes you working on zero sleep, so it was it was a great uh, training experience, and it was a it was a hell of a uh, life experience too. So basically, who's the booker at this point? This is Ole Anderson at this point. What did you think of Ole? What did he think of you? Because there are so many different opinions of him, and a lot of them are negative. Well, right, and and that's that's the amazing thing. This is another observation looking back, and and I have seen Ole maybe four times since uh, Atlanta, and of course he's not doing too well these days. He has dementia, doesn't remember a whole lot, and. Uh, but but the the thing is, every time I've said hello to him, and he has a it might be his his, his daughter. I think she's too young, certainly be his wife. Um, but I, I'll come up and say hello, and I'll and I'll say Tom Pritchard, and he'll look up and say, Oh my God, yes, how are you? I remember. And I don't know if he remembers or not. If we're thinking Ron Pritchard or somebody else, I don't know. But he's always been nice to me. And in Atlanta, he was nice to me. In Atlanta, he never yelled. He never. I I, I know um, people have their their thoughts on him because it can be hard headed and it can be um, that way because he's the booker and he's the guy who has to make sure that the ship is is uh, going in the right direction. And um, but I I worked with him. I don't know the town. I don't remember. I just remember locking up with him. He says, "Oh my God, you are so easy." So I, I, I that's that's the way. Some guys lock up stiff. Some guys lock up easy. I'd prefer it a lot less stiff and easy. And and Oli was always uh, good to me. And um, I, but I could see how he would get on on somebody's ass who might be dogging it. I mean, he had. You had some young guys there, and you had some veterans there who who uh, Ole may had a may have had a history with, and uh, they may have had uh, words over a payoff, or words over a finish, or words over whatever it may be. Because back then, there there were a lot of issues that uh, were serious enough, or um, taken seriously enough, that uh, your reputation was on the line. If you're a top guy. You want to make sure you're done right, and if you feel like you're being done wrong, you're going to confront whoever is making the decisions, and that was Ole. And and he can be cantankerous. I've seen it. I understand. 
But the way he treated me was was nothing like that. Very interesting. Yeah, you always hear kind of, uh, you know, some yeah. uh, mean stories about him. And I know yeah. uh, firsthand experience. I've gotten cursed out by him before. So sometimes yes. he yeah, not not so nice. Yeah, for sure. Well, right, right. I, I saw <laughs> I saw a uh, an interview he did with uh, it might be Rob Feinstein where they're talking about the NWA and. Rob is asking him about the NWA as it as it became, and and Ole is trying to explain to Rob that back then, no, there was no NWA. The NWA was gone, and Rob understood that, but Ole didn't understand that Rob understood that, and it was a it was a miscommunication, mm-hmm. and he was getting he was getting tense, and 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 he was getting um, impatient, and and I, I've seen it with other people, but. It's kind of like going into a cave. Uh, you have to understand there might be a, a creature in there who who uh, dwells and sleeps there, and 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 if you walk into his domain uh, and try to you know walk around in, in somewhere that that he's familiar with, but you're not, uh, it might not wind up too good for you. And that's kind of sometimes people would would wander into places that Ole uh, had had done, maybe like at booking Atlanta or Charlotte or whatever it is, and not knowing all the facts, but just knowing the surface facts. And um, to get into an argument with someone like that, to me, is is not only futile, but it's insane because you're not going to win. Yes. Yes, I, uh, I've gotten cursed out, but then I called him back. I hung up on calling him back. It was a little bit of a miscommunication. I think he thought I was somebody else, or I didn't explain myself, Rob. I don't, it was funny. Though. I was laughing. I was like, wait, what the hell just happened? So, yeah, he's definitely a little ornery. Just a couple of years ago, but he's a little ornery well, for sure. And, and you know what, though, John? Here's the thing, too, I've found, because um, I never understood uh, guys like Ole or, or Al Madrill or, or um, uh, <laughs> some of the other guys who were, when I was coming up, as being so mean and nasty. I just, I couldn't understand it because you're you're doing something you love, you're having a good time, and then, and then, I, I, I stayed in this a little bit longer. I dealt with uh, a few different things and obstacles, too, and, and I was never at the level they were at, but um, the level I was at. Uh, trickled down, and and I found out how the impatience with someone who who might be green or might not know uh, what you're trying to say, although if this is their profession or this is what they're training to do, they should know. They should have done the research. Back then, there was no internet. Back then, there was really uh, nothing to uh, reference except what you knew from seeing it either uh, – at a local arena or going to the matches on a regular basis, wherever it may be. But you were expected to understand when you got somewhere, at least the basics and fundamentals of the business. And and I'm not talking about in the ring. I'm talking about um, how the office works, how they want you to work and, and how you need to, uh, uh, to do what they want you to do. And, uh, if you can convince them otherwise that you've got a better idea, by all means. But that's part of this business is learning how to communicate. And once I, I got to a point where I'm trying to explain something to someone, um, and I'm not, I, I've never been a booker, especially at all these level, but, but I have been a coach and a trainer, and you're trying to explain something to someone, um, after you've already shown them, demonstrated, and talked it over and, and – uh, spent a good half hour, and then they 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 don't comprehend it. Then you have to question. Well, really, are you are you really trying, or or are you just are you just wasting everybody's time? And that's kind of how Oli felt, I think, uh, with with some things. You know, you have people who who <laughs> didn't wrestle, who weren't in the business per se. And here's a guy who spent his whole life and grew up the way he did in the business, came in in the business when when, when uh, they had all these hard asses in the business and shooters and all that crap and all the you know all the legends and all that all that stuff. Uh, and all of a sudden, you have somebody who who might have read something on Wikipedia or something else telling him different. 
and he's trying to tell you different, even though it may not be it may not be um the 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 right information on from his part either but but that's when you finally just kind of back up and say okay so that's the way you remember it let's move on because to argue with him is is uh again like banging your head against the wall and and that just wouldn't work so i mean i i can understand how he would cuss someone out if he didn't know them didn't know what they've done didn't know where they've been doesn't know what they they do or know because he just he knows his thing and and he grew up that way and and that's that's what he does. You know the the classic story about him telling Vince and Linda, you know, in at when when they came to Atlanta, what what he said to to Linda or said to Vince, and and he just feels that way. He's not going to change. And I've come, in other words, I've come to that conclusion. Once mm-hmm. you're set in your ways, you're set in your ways, and he's set in his ways. So who else is part of this kind of power team back there? Because you have, obviously, Jim Barnett as the kind of the owner of the promoter. you got Ole as the booker. But Paul Jones and Jack and Jerry Briscoe were also part owners of the territory, right? Uh, well, I, I never saw Paul Jones uh, during my time there. But uh, Jerry was on the show, uh, was, was, was on the crew. And I worked with Jerry, I know, one time. At least, and it could have been a couple others, but I, I remember one specific time uh, when he wanted me to go behind him or just let's look like we're shooting for the boys or whatever, and I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't shoot my way out of a paper bag. But you know, uh, yeah, it was it was the Briscoes part owner. I didn't see a lot of Jack because I think Jack was still in Florida. Jack was still making shots um, around the country, and. Uh, it was um, pretty pretty busy. It was it was a it was a busy place, and um, uh, again, running with uh, Brad Armstrong, Tommy Rich, Johnny Rich, uh, Nick Patrick. Uh, that was that was the crew I ran with, and everywhere we went, um, it was. You know, Tommy had that neon blonde hair anyway, but, but and when I say everywhere we went, it, it was everywhere we went, uh, people knew who he was. People knew him from the TBS, but we were doing West Virginia towns, Ohio towns, Georgia towns, of course, Georgia, and uh, that that TV was, was pretty strong. That is quite the crew, and obviously Nick Patrick, you know, Wrestling. So many people know him as a referee, but uh, I guess he was wrestling back then as well. Well, he was refereeing back then. But, oh, he was. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, okay. No, he was refereeing, and then uh, I, I believe he was training at that time to wrestle. But he had bad knees, and uh, he eventually wrestled some in Louisiana and uh, uh, back with the NWO, I think. But at that time, he and Scrappy McGowan were the two main referees, and. Uh, uh, it was a lot of fun. As far as Jody, his dad, Jody Hamilton, was he around at this point at all? Yeah. Was he part of the power structure? Well, I don't know if he was, uh, how involved he was, but uh, he, he would show up on, on a couple of occasions. And uh, uh, back then, you know, we would see him in the gym on occasion. So, uh, but but I don't know how deep, um, he, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he had some uh, input if, if needed, but I really don't know how far that went. And um, uh, so, but he, but he'd always been a part of it, and and he'd been a huge name in that area for so long. So it'd be foolish not to take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, the assassin, of course. Now, um, February, excuse me, February of fifteenth, nineteen eighty-two. There around, so it's the uh, winter time of 1982 is kind of when you make your debut against Black Bart, but not so much Black Bart. Ricky Harris at that point. Do you remember this uh, great debut? Who? Uh, well, I don't know if I remember the debut, but I remember another match I had with Black Bart where, because uh, uh, this this wasn't the first match, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. I I I had been there for a little bit and worked with Black Bart or Rick Harris. Nice guy, really nice guy. One of those guys that uh, 
you know, comes across as a little gruff and, and grouchy and mean and nasty, but he's just a teddy bear. And uh, I can't, I couldn't hear very well back then. And we're in the ring, and I keep thinking he's, I keep thinking he's saying, "Hit me, lay it in." Well, he wasn't because I kept laying it in, <laughs> and, and we're trading shots. And he gets back to, I get back to the dressing room, and I knew something was wrong, but. I got in first, and uh, I go to the go in the uh, uh, where, where the sinks are, the bathroom is, and Kevin Sullivan's in there, and and I'm uh, turn on the sink or something, and, and Harris and Rick comes in and kicks the door open, says, "You ever do that again, to me, you little son of a bitch? I'll cream you!" And then walks out, and I went, "Oh my God." And uh, Kevin told me later, he goes, I, I knew something was up, brother, when you pissed off Rick Harris. Because he was so easy going, you know, because he'd act <laughs> tough and be gruff. And he apologized later on. But I told him, I said, Rick, man, I, I really couldn't hear you. I thought you were saying, lay it in. He says, no, you little son of a bitch. I was telling you, loosen up. I thought, well, that sure doesn't sound like lay it in, I guess. So, anyway. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I I don't necessarily remember that first one, but... Um, um, that was that was a uh, a, a crazy time back then. You had Buzz Sawyer and Tommy and Piper, and you had some guys who legend legend doesn't even live up to the the word of of to, to, it's not a it's not a very uh, it's it's a tame description for those guys because. Uh, they they were they were legendary outside the ring more so than inside the ring I guess. What was it like at the, this time in this territory? Was it hopping? Was it it was super popular because of TBS and <laughs> that kind of kicking off? Were you guys kind of on top of the world, so to speak? Yeah, it, it, I don't know that it was selling out every night, but I remember great houses and. Um, Again, this is when Tommy was hot, and Buzz and Tommy were just getting hot in their, in their angle. And uh, I, I think I, I think overall business was was doing well all over the country, or at least steady. Um, not certainly not 1985 WWE business, I don't think. But but I remember going going to houses in West Virginia and um, uh, being packed. Uh, I remember the Omni being this huge, it seemed huge, and I'm sure it, sure it was, uh, this huge building filled. Um, so, and, and the crowds were enthusiastic, and, and it was it was going out there every night, um, stepping in the ring, and the house lights were down, ring lights were up, and um, it had that wrestling vibe to it that I remember uh, as a kid, and now I'm in there doing it, and uh, it it was a it was a steady time, that's for sure. I, and and again, everywhere Tommy went, Tommy Rich was was on fire, and Buzz Sawyer was um, Buzz Sawyer was was incredible. He 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 had a, he had a lot of issues, but but I got to tell you, um, he's he when I talk about authenticity, Buzz was authentic and. I'm not saying that was always a good thing with him, but it was certainly he he was that kind of character, that kind of persona in in, in wrestling. That um, when you met him away from the ring, he was just as intense as he was in the ring. Very few times did he ever uh, uh, put it in idle. He was, you know, Mojo Raleigh likes to say, "I don't get uh, hyped, I stay hyped." That was Buzz. He he didn't. He stayed hyped, and um, that was that was a large part of his appeal. I think uh, his realism and the way he approached things. And in fact, um, when we would do tapings at uh, on on uh, oh the address uh, Techwood Techwood Drive. Techwood Drive. Uh, oh yeah. Yes, yes, and it was the, the mansion, the TV studio, and we, we would go in and get dressed in the um, uh, television 
studio offices, you know, it was just desks and chairs. And I'm sure they hated when the guys came in on Saturday and took over because uh, I don't think, ah, no, I don't think anybody really tore stuff up there. Otherwise we wouldn't be back. But, uh, you know, again, there were nights when sometimes some of the fellows would uh, uh, go to a place called the uh, Crystal Palace in Atlanta and close. It was a, it was a after hours establishment and uh, then just go straight to TV from there. And that combination of no sleep and maybe one or two libations Mm -hmm. uh, would add to your mood. And one morning there was a uh, young collegiate wrestler who wanted to try out and only wanted buzz to give him the tryout. He wanted to get he wanted him to get in the ring with Buzz and because Buzz had some amateur wrestling background and uh, experience. So um, this kid comes, nice, tall. I remember this because I'm doing commentary that day and and uh, I, I was able to stand out there and, and watch through the curtain. Oh, Buzz got this guy in the ring and Buzz had been, been up for... Uh, however many days, and maybe two, maybe one, maybe three, maybe seven. I don't know. Uh, but this guy got in the ring, and Buzz is, had, I think, just come from the Crystal Palace. I don't know this to be a fact, but, you know, chances are. Uh, and got in the ring with this guy, and, and, you know, Buzz is kind of playing with him at first. And uh, took him down and just rode him and let him up and came back again. And then uh, the second time he took him down, he forearmed him across the face and rubbed his face in the mat. And he's, come on, you won't be a Russell. Come on, come on. He's he's foaming at the mouth and snotting and spitting all over. And his eyes are bloodshot and he's stinking. And, oh, my God, and this kid, uh, you, you saw the color drain from his face. And it was like, holy Christ, if this is what it is, uh, he, he didn't want it. So, you know, it, it was it was that kind of time. It was that type of era where, uh, you know, people wanted to be wrestlers up until the time they uh, found out they were going to be put in the ring with that mad dog, Buzz Sawyer, and he was a mad dog at times. And that, that was very apropos for Buzz. Um, and depending which way the wind blew, he either loved you or he hated you. He either wanted to wanted to help you in the ring or he wanted to wanted to hurt you. And I worked with Buzz a couple times, and he punched me in the mouth uh, one time. He took a, a bump outside the ring, and uh, me being that fiery young baby face, uh, I'm I'm going to get him as he's coming in, and he punched me in the mouth. It, it, it gave me a bloody lip, but it wasn't it wasn't stiff. Not didn't knock my teeth out. But he punched me in the mouth, and then he grabbed me and took me over in a uh, chin lock. says, are you okay? I said, yeah. He says, don't ever do that again. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But but I got along with Buzz. Um, yeah, but, you know, in the heat of battle, it was like, uh, wow. Uh, that, that, was, that was the kind of atmosphere. And everybody stayed at the Falcon's Rest. It was a... That was a two-story apartment building in Hapeville, Georgia. It's torn down now because I tried to find it years ago, and uh, but it had this, um, <laughs> it had this 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 aura about it as well. It was just good God. Looking back on that and talking about it now, it just um, you you would think. Uh, or you would wonder why would you guys want to stay here? And then you go in and go, now I understand why you stay here. So, because you're not, you're not going to be there a whole lot. It's a place to drop your stuff. It was a place, uh, furnished two two story apartment. I don't know how many rooms they had there, but, but it was just a place for the guys to come in, uh, you know, ha- have, have a base. And if you were there four hours a day, uh, you're lucky because the other time you're going to be at the gym and you don't just, you come back shower and, and go to the town, come back, sleep. If you, if you did, if you slept and, um, make the towns, it was, it was a nonstop territory. It was, uh, and, and for, for somebody young and in the business, 
having nothing else to do, that was the place to be. That was what you wanted to do. You wanted to be on the road. How were the road trips? Vicious, bad, not too bad? No, 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 no. But see, I I don't know that I've ever really been in a territory for me that, that the road trips were bad. Even Louisiana was um, 3,000 and, and, and plus, 3,000 plus some weeks, uh, 3,000 miles a week sometimes. Uh, and and even then, it's all who you rode with. It's all how you manage your time. It's all how you, you approached it. And I approached it every day as an adventure. And some guys hated it and because uh, for whatever reason, they they just – didn't care to be on the road, but but man, when you, when you're traveling with guys like Brad Armstrong, Tommy Rich, Johnny Rich, Nick Patrick, it it, it made it go by so fast, and it made it go by uh, uh, with an education you couldn't get anywhere. I mean, not just about wrestling, but about life and 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 seeing the country, seeing seeing things nobody else is seeing at that time, except who who's on the road with you and. And that was the way um, I approached the business. It was, it was never a job, and it was never um, a, a burden to go. And, and it only became that later on after, after the business. You know, it, it all changes, and we all evolve. But then, you know, the road, the, the trips aren't as fun as they used to because you're not as young and you're not as enthusiastic sometimes. But but I always trying to find a, a way to be enthusiastic. I always try and try to find something to get enthusiastic and excited about because I did find out if 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 you start not enjoying yourself, especially in this business, it is going to be miserable. You can make all the money in the world, but if you aren't enjoying yourself and and really um, looking for the the positive side and there's a lot of negative but let's you know if you you got to focus on the positive side of this and the positive side is you're doing something that many people dream of and don't get a chance to do and and you should I always felt fortunate to be able to be places and do things that I knew in my heart there were a lot of people who wish they could do the same thing and I'm getting to do it. So I've got nothing to complain about. So trips to me were were always fun, always an adventure. And, and sometimes were you sore and hurt and 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 maybe maybe not necessarily from just being in the ring, but you're just going, oh my god, you know. So uh, they they were good. They were good trips for me. And I don't know how everybody else was about them, but I'm sure I know my crew and the people I were with. We had a good time. How were the payoffs at this point? You're saying it's pretty good, pretty steady. Are you happy with the payoffs? I'm very happy with the payoffs. Uh, again, I mean, especially when you go on the uh, the tours, if I was making $1,500 a week on a tour, then the top guys are making at least two or three times more than that. So they were very happy, but I was happy. Being, you know, it was, uh, again, 22 years old, living my dream, and I, I, I couldn't complain about even if the payoffs were horrible, I think uh, for me back then, again, looking at my experience level and uh, where I was in life, it was it was uh, great for me. Some familiar names as you kind of go through your match listing of who you wrestled there. Mentioned Kevin Sullivan and Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer, but Chick Donovan, who we've mentioned before on the show, Action Mike Jackson, uh, Mike Miller, we mentioned before. I mean, there's a bunch of guys that it's like kind of repeat names, but you guys are kind of, of uh, I guess, not the same age, so to speak, but around the same age. Now, obviously, not Mike Jackson, but uh, some of the other right. guys. So it's like, you know, you guys are probably going to see each other down the road through the territories as you're coming through, but. Then you see a name like Gino Hernandez again. It's like, man, what could have been with him? Do you remember uh, Gino at this point wrestling in, in Georgia? Yeah, yeah, I do. I remember when Gino came in and uh, he brought his Farrah Fawcett pictures from his birthday in Houston or her, or her birthday in Houston. Uh, 
I think we talked about Gino before and his, yeah. his yep. manager, Walter, who had the nightclub in Houston. And uh, I guess Farah and some of her friends came to Houston with uh, Lee Majors from there. I don't remember the whole story on that. But but Gino met up with them at, at the club and made sure he got pictures. Gino was great at uh, publicity. Gino had a uh, press agent uh, or publicity agent, whatever they were called back then. When he, when, when he started as a heel getting really hot, and I think that was a Walter thing too. Um, Walter made sure Gino's name got in the paper when it needed to be and, and, and got him some, uh, some good press in Texas. And, and then it carried on over to Georgia, but uh, I don't know that Gino, um, was, was, you know, he got on, I think the thing that he wanted to do obviously was get on TBS and just, uh, get that name out there and, and be seen as a, uh, star on TBS, which is great. And, and he did, but I also believe he was happy in Texas because he was making all the money he really needed to make and, uh, didn't have to go. Wouldn't that, wouldn't bad trips. Uh, he was a star. He was he had already cemented his reputation as a top guy, and I, I think um, I don't know if it appealed to him to travel back and forth and to make those morning TVs, you know, on Saturdays. Some guys wanted to, and some guys didn't. And and Gino's taste, uh, I think, kind of gravitated towards. Uh, I I have my setup in Texas. I'm okay with that, and um, I'll make shots here and there. But but after that, um, he he was he was done. You know he was he was okay staying home. Now other names: Brad Armstrong. Obviously, we mentioned before, but you're wrestling him in the territory. Surprisingly to me, you meet up with your old buddy again, the Iron Sheik, and you're wrestling him quite a bit. You remember wrestling Sheiky Baby in Georgia? I do, I do, I do. And uh, Sheiky Baby in uh, Columbus, for one, especially. And I remember this one because uh, uh, Columbus was Fred Ward's town, and they had two dressing rooms, one for the heels, baby faces. And, um, <laughs> uh, gosh, I, I loved working with the Sheik because he – the the thing about the sheik is before he before he he went out and 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 fell off the branch um he was actually a pretty serious uh wrestler pretty he took everything and I, and I'm sure he was taking things serious back then too but but then when he became the iron sheik uh, that we know and love today you know from uh, WWE um, he, 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 he was a character and he was funny and he was entertaining in the ring. And this was, you know, I, I remember the times when he was stretching me in the ring and he was nothing like that, uh, in Georgia. And he, he would always want you to grab a headlock and then with, with your right hand, hold it up and go, USA, USA. And, and <laughs> we'd come back to the, to the locker room. And uh, I think it was Tommy or, or somebody who says, "Hi, hey, why you why you holding a sheik with one hand? That you couldn't hold a sheik with one hand." And then they'd see him at TV and say, "Hey, sheik, you can't do that." <laughs> Just give him hell because he wanted all the baby faces to raise their right hand and hold him with one hand in the headlock and go USA, USA. So, but, but he was funny and, and, and it was, it was, it was enjoyable back then. Some people didn't want to work with him, but I, again, I'm, I'm looking at it from my, everybody has an opinion and I certainly have mine. And, uh, my opinion was he was, he was enjoyable to work with. He was funny to be, be around. And, um, you know, he, he did get it. You know, I, I think that sometimes uh, we all kind of wade into the deep water, and he he was he was certainly dog paddling towards the deep end of the pool, and uh, uh, I, we, I think even trying to bring him back, you know, to the shallow end was was futile back then. But it but it was it was fun um, 
because everybody was a everybody was a character. Uh, again, it goes back to Buzz, Tommy, Brad, myself. Um, as as reserved as I was, as introverted as I was, you know, you still have your um, earmarks as whatever whatever they saw you as, however they you were perceived. That was if somebody was always picking that scab and 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 rubbing sand in that wound whatever traits you had and and uh just to just to try to get you hot just to try to needle you just to try to um do something and and, and you know we would ride we would ride sometimes with with Garvin Jimmy Garvin and Michael Hayes Jimmy had a van and sometimes we would we would ride together Brad Tommy Nick Johnny um Pi- uh, not Piper uh Garvin and Hayes and Brad uh, back then they they had this thing called a sports shake you could buy at the convenience store or wherever and Brad had a couple sports shakes with him well, you know the Freebirds, they always had a cooler, but it wasn't filled with sports shakes. <laughs> and Brad Brad put his sports shakes in the cooler. Well, during the trip, Jimmy went to the cooler, you know, to get his milk and cookies, and uh he said, "What the hell is this?" And Brad said, "Oh, those are mine." He goes, "Sports shake?" You put a sports shake in our cooler, and he rolled the window down and threw them out. <laughs> it was like, what the hell, man? So that pissed Brad off. So everybody got on Brad. You know, oh, you mad now? You gonna fight him? I'll pull over. Let's fight on all that shit. You know, but um, that's what I'm saying. Guys like the Sheik, guys like you know, even Michael back then, Jimmy Garvin, um, hell, Orndorff and Santana. I made trips with them on a couple of occasions, and those two guys would would start going back and forth at each other, but but in a playful way. In a they were they were working, but they were shooting, and it wasn't. It was ribbon on the square, and, and Paul would get hot, and Tito would get hot, but they they weren't going to pull over and fight. They were they were just going back and forth to pass the time, and and you know, it was it was. Again, nobody got that kind of education unless you were there, and I was there. So, um, I was I was fortunate enough, lucky enough, and I was happy enough uh, to be around those kind of characters, to be around that lifestyle, and to see it firsthand, and not just have to hear about it. And um, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Also, wrestling guys like. Born, Kamala, and teaming up with Ivan Putsky. That's one I would never thought uh, would ever happen. But that, well, that, that was that, that was a, that was a July Fourth uh, card. I just saw that over the weekend too, and a couple of people sent it to me in, in a text yes. message. That was yes. I worked with um, Scott Irwin earlier in the night, Super Destroyer, and then we came back in a, in a tag match against Hanson and Oli, and it was like um, I, I don't. I, Honest to God, I don't remember the circumstances. Oh, I, I do. I think they, they took Tommy out of the match, Tommy Rich, and put me in. But I don't remember exactly why. And I don't want, don't know why they did it. But looking back on it, again, it's, it's guys like Jim Barnett and guys like Bill Watts who, when they see somebody who's young and they see somebody who they, they might uh, have potential or at least have the ability to follow and be molded and listen and learn and and have some ambition, they they would find a way to give you an opportunity, uh, and it would be up to you or that person to to follow through with it and and become what they're going to become. And Looking back on that, you know, should I have fought more? Yes. Should I have done more? Yes. <laughs> I should have done a lot more. But uh, and knowing what I know now, oh my God, of course. You know, Kevin Sullivan and I have had this conversation before, um, and I was <laughs> all this stuff, and especially going back, looking at history, and and just understanding the way the business and the landscape was back then. Um, 
it it really is up to you. And and I tell people that all the time that come to train with us because you, you you can't teach experience. You can tell all day long, but we can't give you the experience. You have to go through it sometimes. You have to hit a pothole to know what it feels like. And uh, when you do, you have to recognize, oops, maybe I should have avoided that. Maybe I should have went around it, but no, I went right through it. And I, I, <laughs> I now have damage from a pothole. So, uh, you know, the, the same thing holds true today. It's, it's, it's more of a corporate business and corporate world, but um, you're going down the same road. You're looking for success. And along the way, you're going to find uh, some good places to stop at and get out and look and see and maybe find a, a really good restaurant. And then again, you know, you're going to make some mistakes along the way. And uh, you got to learn from them too. So, uh, and I think that's held true for 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 the longest time ever since uh, the business began but that was yeah i remember it was flair and um bob backlin on top july 4th yep. at the omni man and it was huge yeah that show. was a yep. huge show and and it was a great crowd it was a great night and uh again i i i would have changed a few things but i'm sure as i wouldn't trade it for anything in the world Pretty great. It's a work, um, you know, two matches, and obviously one is a semi-main against Hanson and Ole Anderson for the tag title. So it's pretty, uh, pretty big card, pretty big night for you. Yeah, it's very nice. It, it's big night, and and again, I it it wasn't lost on me how fortunate uh, I was to be in that spot. So really, you end up working there for a full year, a little bit over a full year. So you start the winter of '82, and you basically are done by the winter of '83. The last few matches are against Bob Roop. I don't know if you remember that or not. What are your thoughts on uh, good old Bob Roop? Well, uh, once again, uh, Bob's reputation preceded him. But Bob was was always cool to me. Bob was uh, uh, very very nice to me and never never had a problem. But I. I wasn't out to make problems, and he knew that. <laughs> I wasn't going to try Bob Roop. I wasn't going to argue with Bob Roop. But he was cool. He was a decent guy. And, and again, I, I knew what, what he was capable of, and, um, you know, I, I respected him. Legit shooter, right, like a legit tough guy? Yeah, there's there's a, uh, uh, a, a YouTube video out there of him – stretching this poor guy in Tampa at the Sportatorium with Eddie Graham at ringside. Nobody's there. Uh, this guy just wanted to be a wrestler, and Bob uh, was was like the hero Matsuda at that time. And if somebody wanted to come and be a wrestler, <clears throat> you got in the ring with either Bob or Hero or uh, Nelson, uh, not Nelson Royal. Um, oh, Russell was uh, Gordon Nelson. Uh you know those old time shooters that that and and this is on YouTube. If you just type in Bob Roop stretches Mark, it's 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 disturbing. It's terrifying, but that's what that's what they did back then, and that's what this business was back then. Um, uh, yes, we have to evolve, and yes, we can't be as uncivilized and as brutal as it once was. <sighs> But at the same time, uh, there was authenticity there. And everybody thought it was a work, knew it was a work. Hey, it's all phony. It's all fake. Oh, I can do that. Anybody can do that. It kind of kept some of those people away from it who needed to be away from it. Because if you don't respect this, then you don't belong in it. That's just my feeling. And, And as hokey as it was back then, because not everything that wrestling did was great and it was, wasn't all spectacular and it wasn't all real and it wasn't, some of it looked really, really crappy. There were some, there were some horrible matches. There were some horrible workers out there. Uh, but for the most part, the respect factor was a huge, huge thing. And Bob Roop was one of those guys who, um, if you didn't respect the business and he knew it and they put you in a match with him, <sighs> sometimes they, Bob or whoever it was who who was assigned 
that position to go out and and show you that uh, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, and it'd be a long night for you. As far as you in this territory, obviously this is kind of young in the business, learning, losing a lot, uh, kind of just you know really learning the ropes. What's kind of the overall thoughts of working for this territory in this time frame? Well, once again, that it, it was one of those uh, opportunities to be groomed and to learn from the the knowledge and the minds that were in the territory and uh, understand the business because that was a great place to understand the inner workings of the business. I wasn't that uh tuned in to that. I wasn't that interested. I just wanted to go on the road and wrestle and and the other part of it um uh wasn't my my main concern and it it wasn't until later that I even thought about it. And I was happy to be there and you just you cannot just be happy to be there. You have to have the ambition. You've got to have that confidence and performer's ego if you want to if you want to succeed in anything you've got to believe and uh it wasn't that i didn't think or feel i could go out there and work i knew i could work but i i don't know that i uh was confident enough to uh take that next step if you will and and put myself, uh, believe in myself enough to say, like, you know, you may be a, a small guy, but, but it doesn't matter because these days it's, it's been proven. Uh, Daniel Bryan's not a big guy, but uh, he had 70,000 people at WrestleMania shouting, yes, 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 yes. And it's not because of his size. It's because of his talent, because of his belief in himself and uh, perception. And I... I think that was what the good thing about Atlanta was, you know, you can, you you could learn from so many people. And I learned a lot from a lot of people uh, while I was there Uh, and, and lessons I continue to learn Uh, many years of just every time I reminisce with Kevin Sullivan, there's something that comes up uh, that I learned at that time in Atlanta. So Overall, it was it was a great experience for me, and um, again, I'll say it till I die. I'll, I wouldn't trade anything in the world for it. Of course, so much great talent really did come out of the territory. It is uh, unbelievable, but just kind of looking back. But I think that is a kind of a great stopping point and a great point to talk about Pro Wrestling Tees. Yes, ProWrestlingTees.com has a, a JPWA store as well as a Dr. Tom Pritchard store where you can get a great T-shirt. I recommend out of the Dr. Tom collection the Wanted Dead or Alive shirt. Of course, you could check JPWA out. Excuse me, JPWA out on Patreon. Patreon has a page set up where you can become a patron and support the JPWA. Also, check out JPWA's website. That is JPWrestlingAcademy.com. Dr. Tom, one more time. I know you and Les Thatcher got a huge seminar going on. Just uh, reiterate that to the fans. Well, it is August 8th and 9th in Knoxville, Tennessee. All the information is on our website, uh, jpwrestlingacademy.com. But as we are speaking, uh, there are only three spots left. And I expect by the end of the week, we will have zero spots left. So, yes, Les Thatcher, who just recently celebrated his 60th anniversary in professional wrestling, and myself, who... Uh, this year will be 41 years, October 20th, in uh, professional. Well, actually, for my first match. But if you count, John, from the time mm-hmm. I was 12 years old, uh, taking pictures for Gong Magazine, Wrestling News Magazine, Jim Melby, Norm, Norm Keitzer. Uh, so how many years is that? From 12 and I'm 60 now. So, God, this is a long time. 48 years. So there you go. It is over 100 years in professional wrestling. So I started working in the office when I was 15 in summers, 
And I worked in the office uh, for Paul Bosch in Houston uh, from the time I was 15 until I had my first match at 20. So uh, there's going to be a lot of knowledge going on there, a lot of uh, opinions and and thought process uh, to help anyone who's coming to um, gain information that you may or may not have heard. And if you've heard it before, then we're just reiterating and uh, reinforcing what you've heard. Of course, you can follow Dr. Tom on Twitter at Dr. Tom Pritchard. You can follow me at Two Man Power Trip. And I just want to say for those listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience this firsthand for yourself. That is the new Lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Trim that junk of yours. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. And one of the coolest features is the LED light that illuminates grooming areas for a closer, more precise trimming. I've got to mention that, too, because sometimes it gets a little dark in there, man, and you got to really uh, got to have a light to light the way. And the Lawnmower 3.0 is just the thing for a birthday. Hell, we just got done with Father's Day. I know there's plenty of fathers out there now who, uh, who are more than happy. If they can trim their bush with a lawnmower 3.0. Yes. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code Empire at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com using the promo code Empire. Now, Dr. Tom, one last time for the book, where can they get a pro wrestling curriculum, advice, suggestions, and stories to help the aspiring pro get to that next level? Go to Amazon.com, type in Dr. Tom's book, or you can also get a autographed, a personally autographed book by going to PayPal. And my PayPal is Dr. Tom Pritchard at AOL.com. Just send $25, and I will send you a personally autographed book. Nice. Of course, everybody, thank you uh, for joining us this week, and we'll see you next week right here. I'll take you to school with Dr. Tom Pritchard. See you then, folks. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.